0: Welcome to episode 49 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer director JJ Abrams as well as his greater Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host, as usual. My name is Marcelo Inestroza, joined as always by my fellow co host Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be looking at Lost Season 3. Episodes 11 through 13. First up in that batch of episodes is Enter 77. So, Matt, would you like to play a game?
1: No, definitely not. I am not going to play this game. And I did like that this episode, Saeed flashback episode that takes us to another station where Mikhail, the guy with the eye patch, who we have seen on a TV in one of the other stations, shows up and we get a lot of stuff. And as you say, this weird chess game that Locke becomes obsessed with that may or may not be a good thing. When Locke started playing with that, I'm like, oh no, this is not going to be good. Did you know right away that this was some sort of catastrophe waiting to happen?
0: I kind of did, and I kind of didn't. It was very, very strange to me that our lofties, after walking in the woods, would find this, basically this farm with this cow and this one-eyed Russian. I knew the second that they stepped in there and he started feeding his bullshit, I knew that everything that he was possibly saying was just crap. But the one thing that I loved about uh, his interactions with Kate, Saeed, and Locke, specifically Saeed, I love the fact that every time that Saeed comes across someone that he doesn't know on the island, he's always suspicious and he's always ahead of the people that he's with. Saeed finally comes out with it and says, Listen, let's drop the pretense and let's try and get some real answers. I love that Saeed is the one that tells John, "No, this guy's feeding us bullshit." And I love the fact that Saidi is the one that finds the semi-hatch under the floor when he lifts up the carpet, and that leads to a sub-basement that is wired with C4. In this episode, if I'm not mistaken, we see the question lady again.
1: Mrs. Clue does show up, and I still don't like her that m- that much. But I did think it was interesting that we finally found a way to bring her back into it, and of course, that's that moment where Kate's like she's part of the the others. She was on the dock, like don't trust this guy. But I do love that. Saeed has that cut the shit moment where Mikhail's telling us like, oh, I am part of the the Dharma Initiative, and most of us were killed during the purge by the hostiles. And we're like, hmm, I don't don't know, man. I don't feel like this is on the level. So I do like that Saeed always finds a way to cut through that and try and get to the truth of the matter, no matter what it takes. But in this instance, bad communication ends up really screwing them over because when they find that C4 and they realize the whole place is wired. You just want them to yell up to Locke and be like, hey man, the whole place is wired to blow so that he will stop whatever he's doing with the computer. But that doesn't happen. Um, Although by the end of the episode, it is revealed later that Locke did know there was some explosives there. (laughs) He just either didn't put two and two together or didn't care at that point. Especially when we see the options that are being presented on the computer after he wins the chess game with Marvin Candle. Where it's like, you know, if this has happened, inter whatever, whatever. If this has happened, inter 3-8. And he's doing it all. And then that final one where he says, you know, if there has been an incursion by the hostiles, inter 7-7. Seven seven. And I'm like, oh my God, do not do it. Like, there's no way that this is a, a good thing. Because if there's been an incursion by the hostiles, this is probably this station's equivalent of a suicide pill, a cyanide capsule. And when he enters 7-7, you're just like, ugh, I wish the guy did not do that. And uh, even, I like, who knows if they could have used that station for anything or if the records that were there even made a difference to our losties or if they could have gotten in touch with the outside world. All of that aside, it still just would have been nice for them to have a new location to spend a bunch of time for the show to kind of shake things up. So seeing it explode, I was like, oh man, we only got to spend half of an episode in this place. That could have been a kind of cool location for a bit.
0: Specifically when I saw Locke win the chess game by the computer and, you know, then the Dharma initiative guy started giving him all the options. And when he started pressing the options that the Dharma guy gave him and it didn't work, I was like, there's no way in hell that Locke is just going to leave this computer without pressing all the options. Even though that I I knew that it would have been better for him not to do so, I kind of was aware in my subconscious that this farm, uh, for the lack of a better word, was just a stop to something bigger. When they first meet this eye-patched Russian guy, he doesn't call it the dharma initiative he calls it something else and i found that very very odd even though the clothes that he is obviously wearing is from dharma but i was like why did you call it something else
1: i don't know it was i can't even remember what he called it was it maybe just like a an aka or like the russian equivalent everything obviously is pretty dharma heavy and uh I think he does say like he was the last member of that who survived. So I don't know if he was just trying to see what they knew.
0: Little comments like that, that don't seem so important, just stick in my head. I really enjoyed the flashback story in this episode with Saeed having to confront someone that he's tortured before and seeing him come face to face with one of his victims and to see what his torture directly has done to their lives, and to have that scene with him and his victim, to where his victim goes, I, I went through all this stuff in my life, but because of I found a cat in an alley, I came to the conclusion that no matter what has happened to me in my life, good or bad,
1: people deserve forgiveness, even the most awful people in the world. I definitely thought that it was interesting because at first I wasn't digging it where Saeed gets captured and he's pleading saying this is not me and he's so convincing that you start to wonder was it not him and is this a mistaken identity or or what's going on cuz he's so convincing and then when uh I think the wife's name is Amira comes in with the cat and they have that talk and finally You know, Saeed admits it and we we realize the depth of everything that's going on. It is such a breakthrough character moment and so powerful for her because we still wonder, you know, is she telling the truth when she's saying, like, just admit it and I will, you know, forgive you and all this. But I love the way that they handled that because it was so nuanced and it could have been hammy and overly emotional or seem false, but they played it in a way that felt so real. And then of course, when Saeed sees the cat on the Island near the end, starts to get those, like what is going on here is the Island, some sort of redemption, atonement machine that you have to go through spinning again. So I did think that that was the emotional heart of the episode. Whereas the station stuff was the action heart of the episode and the beach stuff with Hurley and Sawyer was kind of the the fun, playful, humorous heart of the episode. And I did love where Hurley kicks Sawyer's butt at ping pong and Sawyer is not allowed to call anybody a horrible nickname for the next week or whatever. It Just the way that Sawyer is finding that hard to do already. Um, I thought that this episode was all spent a lot of time in different spots but it was really entertaining and a lot of fun in those moments. And then super serious edge of your seat and emotional in the Saeed flashback and Saeed on Island stuff.
0: On that note, we move on to the second episode that we're going to cover this week per Avian. So Matt, uh, would you like to have your brains electrocuted by a magnet and melted?
1: I will definitely not sign up for that. (laughs) That kind of thing, but I definitely thought it was cool that, um, we got some more information on, you know, underwater beacons, electromagnetic pulses, submarines, so much stuff is kind of thrown at us. And then of course we discover a sonar fence, which is crazy. And that was one of those surprising insane on-island lost moments where when Mikhail gets his brain, as you said, melted, uh, I was like, whoa, did not see that coming. And that was one of the cool, like, holy crap moments of this episode.
0: I really connected with this episode uh, because of the, the Claire flashback to have her mother be brain dead after a giant car accident And to have Claire come up to her and finally admit to her mother that she was pregnant. And I love the scene where Claire kind of apologizes for getting uh, her mother into the car accident. It really hit home with me because as some of you listeners may know, who have been listening for a while, my mother had a heart attack quite suddenly and I was never able to have the the type of conversation that I wanted to have with my mother for about four days I had to watch it wither and die on life support. So just on my personal story alone, seeing Claire have that final conversation with her mother and just pour out her entire feelings to let's be fair, a vegetable was just completely heartbreaking to me but the thing that really made me enjoy this episode is to finally see our favorite deadbeat alcoholic dad again in Christian Shepherd and I love the uh, the scene where he tries to connect with Claire and he admits to Claire that throughout several times in her life he was there like he used to give her toys and read her bedtime stories but you know at some points uh, Claire's mother told him to go away and go away to his real family. I, I love the way that the actress who plays Claire played that uh, specific scene. thought the line of that specific scene was, don't confuse grief with guilt. I thought that the flashbacks in this episode were uh, a full price, to, to use a, a word from one of my favorite YouTube channels.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that that was sort of one of those full price moments. And I love that this episode, if people hadn't picked up the breadcrumbs of Christian Shepard being Claire's father, this is the one that explicitly lays it out. And I thought that the moments between Christian and Claire were really well done. And especially John Terry and Emily DeRaven are doing some of their best acting on the series. And just their, their coffee shop talk and, and then those scenes where her aunt is there and getting upset were really powerful, and especially that moment that you talked about where Claire tells her mother that she is pregnant and she expresses her guilt that the car accident happened while they were having a fight where she told her mom that she hated her and wished she was dead. And... That may not have been the cause of the accident. The accident may have happened no matter what, but that is something that's weighing on Claire. That guilt and the combination of the guilt and the grief because it has been such a life altering event. That end of the flashback scene with Claire is one of Claire's best scenes and really powerful and definitely the highlight of this episode. That's a pretty weighty episode and does, you know, really it's got gut wrenching moments. It does add some cool stuff to the lore, but it's fairly heavy.
0: The other thing that I found interesting is the fact that Charlie and Charlie gets an idea to set up this romantic, um, basically picnic date on the Island with Claire, but, but, after Charlie and Claire get to their destination on the island, Desmond shows up out of nowhere and is very insistent that Charlie goes with him. Now, if you have been listening for the last couple of weeks, you basically know that Desmond is a time traveler. And um, there's a point in this episode where Claire walks up to Desmond and basically confronts him and he goes... What the hell is going on here? And how do you, how did you know to come exactly here at this exact moment? And Desmond basically goes, without giving too many details, Desmond basically goes, "You see that rock over there? If I hadn't come over here, Charlie would have fallen off that rock, and his head would have berberated off the rock like four or five times. So I basically saved his life. The thing that I was confused about is that." In uh, in one of our episodes last week, Desmond made it clear to Charlie and to the audience, at least I thought, that he was tired of trying to save Charlie's life. So in this episode, when I saw Desmond do that,
1: I was really relieved. I think, you know, what he was saying last time was he's realized that he can't change it. So it is this burden. But as long as he's able to intercede, he will but he knows there's going to be a time where he's not going to be able to save Charlie. So I think that was kind of part of his anguish last week. And in this, I thought it was great that finally, because this is a weird Island and weird shit happens. I'm glad that Claire is now in the loop because this weird actions of Charlie, like he planned this nice thing and then immediately was like, shut it down. Okay. Desmond says, shut it down. We got to shut it down. So I did love that by the end we finally find out and Claire accepts it. She doesn't actually rail against it. Like the facts have been presented and because of the weird stuff on the island she's like, "Okay, I will even if she doesn't believe it, she knows that Charlie believes it, so she's willing to say, "Okay, we'll we'll work through this." And so I like that now it's not just Charlie and Desmond who are going to try and change Charlie's fate, but Claire's part of this team avoid charlie's demise and that was that was nice because i really didn't like when they were writing that kind of fake charlie and claire divide where charlie was too overbearing with claire and he was getting jealous of Locke. so i'm i'm glad that we have now pushed that behind us and they can be kind of together and coupley while trying to save charlie's life and that's a A more interesting, greater goal for those two than we've had previous. And then just to wrap up, like my final thoughts on this, the stuff with the Russo and Mikhail as they head to the others village was fine. Most of the stuff with Mikhail is pretty interesting, and especially the way he goes out. I do love the final shot before the cut to lost is we see Jack running towards us and in those first couple of seconds, we think maybe he is making a break for it and trying to escape just as the the rescue party arrives. And then we see him catch a football that Mr. Friendly Tom has thrown to him and he spikes it while doing a touchdown dance with a big smile on his face. And that was such a what the hell moment. Because the last time we saw Jack with the others, he certainly wasn't in a let's go out and toss a ball around kind of mode. So this was a great ending that really had me scratching my head and going, what the hell has happened here? Were were you thrown off by that ending, Marcelo? I totally forgot
0: that ending. And when, you know, Locke basically says to everyone... We're here, and you see the camera pan up, and you see the village. I'm like, are they just going to? I'm like, of course they're not. They wouldn't be that stupid. I thought they were going to walk out of the woods and just, you know, confront the others on their home turf. But then I remembered that Jack and Juliet were there. That brought up some points that I do want to mention in the last episode that we're going to cover this week, entitled The Man from Tallahassee. Uh, With that, Matt, I ask you, can you really fly? Does this episode want to make you buy health insurance? So this
1: episode is a John Locke flashback episode, and you have subtly or maybe not so subtly mentioned a few times on the podcast about how part of John's daddy issues culminate in getting thrown out a window by his father. And this is the episode where we do see everything with John Locke's. Dickhead dad, Anthony Cooper, come to a head and Locke gets chucked out of a window, falls so many floors that it was like, oh my God, eight stories or something. And this is the incident that did put him in the wheelchair. Finally, we see it. And I just that it's so frustrating when Locke is just minding his business. This is after he's been through so much in the flashbacks, all of a sudden he gets a knock on the door and it's Mike Ross from suits. And he comes in and says, Hey, uh, my mother is engaged to your, this guy that I think, you know, and, uh, I just wanted like to know if he's a good guy and if you can vouch for him. And it's like, no, not again. Every time Locke is finally starting to make progress, his daddy issues rear their head in such a destructive way. And in this one, any ambiguity about Anthony being a good guy or a misunderstood con man is thrown out the window, literally, because not only does he throw Locke, his own son, his own flesh and blood out the freaking window, hoping to kill him. He also murdered Mike from Suits, which is what gets John there in the first place, because when Locke mentions to him that the son of his fiance is sniffing around, he kills him, which, you know, we knew that Locke's dad was a bad dude, but he is a straight up murderer in this episode.
0: I couldn't be more with you on this episode, Matt. Like you mentioned at the top after my colorful introduction to this episode, I've been alluding to this episode not so subtly, kind of subtly in our previous episodes. And I just couldn't stand that, like you mentioned, to, to sort of surf off of one of your points, Locke's inability to keep his fucking nose out of this crap when the the guy uh who is being conned by Locke's father comes to his door I'm like no 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 why are you going to involve yourself you know how much of a fucking asshole your father is so why are you doing this the only thing that could have that 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 could possibly that sort of ran through my head during this scene with John in his dilapidated house or I think he's living in a fucking hotel is that subconsciously Locke still wants his father to come clean and sort of admit to all his failures when in when when in reality Locke's father is a son of a bitch con man who committed murder I feel bad for Locke but I also am like you brought this upon yourself Some things that have happened to you in the past have not been your fault because you've been too gullible. But there has to be a point where Locke has to learn and has to learn how to smell the bullshit. And in
1: this episode, he doesn't do that. Yeah, I think you're 100% right, is that he, he still thinks he can somehow redeem the awful things that his dad has done by giving him the chances to do the right thing over and over again and not realizing that this guy is never going to do the right thing. So Locke shouldn't have gone to Anthony and said, you have to come clean. He should have gone right to that, that woman and said, the guy you're about to marry is a douchebag. Here's why. But it is that he doesn't want to admit that this father figure is all bad. He's still hoping there is some good in him to make him feel better about himself. But it's so frustrating and exhausting watching Locke make these blunders again and again and this is like the final straw or so we think until the incredible ending of this episode that had me screaming at the t- at the TV the first time I watched it where The on-island stuff is a lot of Ben and Locke talking. Locke is there with the C4. He wants to blow up Ben's submarine. He thinks he's doing this to to spite Ben and to also, you know, take out this mode of transportation off the island. But as Alex tells him, my father is like a master manipulator and if he wants you to do something. You won't know that you're doing his bidding when you're doing it. And it's not until after Locke has blown up the sub that he kind of realizes maybe he was played again by another con man to, to carry out somebody else's bidding. And then just this, this weird box, the magic box, which is totally, (laughs) a mystery box link. And all of a sudden we open the door at the very end and see Locke's dad is sitting there on the Island in this mystery box bound and gagged. And it's like, what the hell is happening? And is Locke finally going to get some sort of peace? Is this really his father? What is going on? What did you think in those moments, Marcelo, when it was revealed that this magic box has brought asshole dad to the island?
0: I totally forgot that that was where this story was going. I mentioned last week that M- Michael Emerson, as Ben, I was really starting to see him as a bad guy. And I did mention that it, it could have possibly been because of my state of mind last week so with that being said i will tell you that i am on the michael emerson love train again michael emerson's performance in this episode the way that he wraps uh locke's belief in himself and his belief that the island uh sort of speaks to him and that he's there for a greater purpose into ultimately making giving Ben exactly what he wants by blowing up the submarine. The second that Jack and Juliet and some of the others got on the dock and Locke just raised his hand, I was like, you son of a bitch, you did not. Everything that happens to you at this point is your fault because you let that motherfucker play on your feelings of self-importance. You are not that important. In a similar way, we're going to find out that Ben isn't that important either. And in this episode, Ben really outplayed John Locke on an emotional level. It was so amazing to see. And my favorite moment before I get to the reveal of the person in the magic box, basically, my favorite moment is that last scene Uh, with Jack and Juliet before they think that they're going to leave the island on a submarine, Uh, Juliet just says, thank you, Ben. And Ben slash Michael Lemerson doesn't respond. He just looks at her with these cold dead eyes and he just smiles a little bit. And I'm like, perfectly played. Magnificent. When we do find out who is in that magic box that that Ben is referencing that that Ben is alluding to throughout the entire conversation with John Locke I was like Locke if this was the moment to redeem all the fucking crazy shit that you've done in specifically in this batch of episodes this is it so if you don't kill that motherfucker I'm never going to forgive you but then again what happens to him later I can't forgive him either I just Love this episode and I loved the romantic uh, 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 tones of this episode when it comes to Kate and Jack, because as most of you know, I'm a big Kate and Jack guy like me. It's in my heart It's Kate and Jack forever. So I was just happy to see their relationship progress, uh, even if it was just small little steps.
1: Yeah, that was really nice to see. And I do like all this stuff with Jack and Kate where she's like, we're here to rescue you. And he's like, I don't need rescuing. Like I, I am doing what they said, but only because they are going to help me and you shouldn't be here because I don't want you to get in deeper. Let me try and, you know, get off the island and, and rescue you guys somehow. So Jack still is in saving hero mode, the way that it's being presented isn't something that is immediately recognizable. And I do love those those moments with him and Kate. They are really well done. And you are right about Ben. In this episode, it's funny, last week, John Locke played a game of chess and won and then blew up the hatch as a result. Uh so, like, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. This week, he played a game of chess and he fucking lost like big time because he didn't realize he was playing chess. Ben is the only guy who knows that every single move you make on the island is part of some greater scheme. We are still in the dark of what that greater scheme could be. But at the end, before the the dad reveal... Locke is starting to realize, you know, he might not be as important as he thought, but every move you make, no matter how trivial or if you think you are in control of your actions, maybe there are other things going on. So I thought that was a really interesting theme. And just all of the stuff with the others, Alex, Juliet, Jack, uh, was a nice. We got a lot of info. We got some great character beats and some of my previous favorite episodes have been John Locke flashbacks. This is another one of the best episodes of, of this season, uh, not the best, but like one of them. So I think overall still the lock episodes, you know, when it's a John Locke flashback episode, a lot of stuff's going to happen on Island and in those flashbacks, and you're going to get. So many more questions than you had before the episode started, even if you got the answers you were hoping to get.
0: What were you thinking when the the eye patch Russian said to our losties that Ben isn't the one in control here, that it's somebody else. What is
1: so special about this other individual? Yeah, I was still wondering because now this is there have been small asides. That we have seen within the others where somebody said, well, Ben's not even the one actually calling the shots. And somebody else said he wasn't even on Jacob's list. And so we have had a few like offhand remarks that make it sound like Ben does have a boss. And in this episode, we certainly don't find out any more about that. But you start to wonder, was Ben manipulating Locke to blow up the sub? To save face, not only with his underlings, but because there is somebody else that Ben reports to, that he couldn't have blown up the sub himself because then he would be in trouble with that guy. So, or gal, but I do love that they have been laying these small Easter eggs or breadcrumbs along the way, planting seeds of doubt in our mind that the guy that we thought was the head honcho leader might just be like a senior management rather than the CEO.
0: All right, guys, that'll do it for this edition of Radio 815. If you like anything that we do here and you want to reach out to us, there are a couple ways to do that. First, you can just reach out to us by simply using the hashtag on Twitter, Radio 815. If you don't have a Twitter account, We have an email address. It is simply Radio815 at AOL.com. But if you want to reach out to us personally, you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. Matt, if the good folks at home want to reach out to you personally, what would be the best way for them to do that?
1: The best place is on Twitter at Matt Crandall.
0: With all that being said and out of the way, until next week, as I often say, We'll talk back soon.